have your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. So we've been on this journey all year. And this journey has been through uh, the book of Luke, written by Luke. Uh, we went through the book of Acts, written by Luke. And then we had a pause where we did this 40 days of missional living, which was to put into action the very things that we've been talking about as we went through, through the book of Acts. And now we shift to back to the journey, but we're looking at this journey to Bethlehem. And each year I try to uh, select at least, you know, uh, books from both, you know, to teach through books from both the Old Testament and New Testament. And this year, uh, Ruth seemed to be the most obvious choice uh, because of her journey. And because of her journey specifically, its purpose and where she was going, so that was, that's the, the background where we've been all, all year. But having done that, if you haven't been here in a while, we're about to introduce a term that you may not be familiar with, and that is chiastic structure. What in the world is a chiastic structure? Well, the reason we haven't seen it at all this year is because a chiastic structure is a, um, it's a tool of Hebrew writing in which um, the author begins at point A, he'll make an A, B, C, or something along that, those, that, that line, like point A, B, C, and then he puts it in reverse and then mentions those same themes in reverse, C, B, A. So, if, you know, Peggy, if you could, there's an example, I think, on the screen. Let me give you a couple of these. So this is the structure, this is the chiastic structure of Ruth. And it basically is A, B, C, D, E, F, then you have an X, then you have F, E, D, C, B, A. And it goes right in reverse. And we're going to unpack that a little bit, but let me give you some examples. You're familiar with these. You just may not think of them in terms of Hebrew literature, and you may not think of it in this large of a scope. The reason we haven't seen it all this year is because Luke is a Gentile. So Luke is not going to write in a Hebrew, traditional Hebrew chiastic structure, uh, he's just going to write as a, as a, as a Gentile. So, uh, but let me give you an example of a chiastic sentence that you might be familiar with. Um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That is an example of a chiastic sentence. Okay, so you have when the going gets tough, and then it's in reverse. The tough get going. That's, that's a chiastic structure. It's, it's said forward, and then, it's, then there's a, a pause, and then it's said in reverse. Um, can't remember who said this. One of the um, founders of, of, of America, I can't remember. I can't remember which one it was, but something along those lines of... Um, when you plan to fail, you fail to plan. Or no, when you fail, when you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Right? That's the that's the phrase. So that's a chiastic sentence. It says it forwards, then it says it backwards. Believe it or not, the whole chapter of chapter one is written that way. Okay, so it's all of it is A B C D E F. Key point then F-E-D-C-B-A, right, right in, in reverse. So that's important for us to recognize, okay? Now, the second thing is this. When you think about a chiastic structure, the X 
is going to mark a pivotal point in the narrative. And by the way, that's where we get the name chiastic. Key is the, is the Greek word, or key or chi is the Greek, word, uh, Greek letter X. Okay, so it comes from, it's that structure, and then the middle one is X, that's the, that's the pivotal point. So this morning, we're going to identify the pivotal point of the narrative. Let's turn to Scripture, Ruth chapter 1, let's pick up at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord, that's Yahweh, had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return, each to her mother's house. The Lord, Yahweh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh, grant you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. Now we'll pause there just for a moment because here's what we want to do. We want to identify that we're going we're gonna to be working toward that pivotal moment, the pivotal moment in the narrative. And at the same time, while we're doing that, we want to see it through the lens of the gospel. Keep in mind that the whole book itself is about redemption, right? And that's the ma- a major theme of the gospel. That's the third theme of the gospel. So key point number one for us this morning is this. Sorrow has a way of awakening our need for the Lord. Sorrow has a way of awakening our need for the Lord. I mean, think about it. You, you can replace that word sorrow with hardship, um, difficulties, challenges. When you, when you go through something in life, whether it's sorrow, whether it's grief, whether it's heartache, whether it's just a, a, a challenge, those things have a way of prompting us to think about the Lord. And it causes us to, to call upon him. So there's no surprise here that for the first five verses, we see them dealing with this famine and they're moving to Moab as a, as a family and then you see the husband die, and then you see the two sons die. And there's so much going on here. It's no surprise then, by the, by the time we pick up at chapter 6, that what's, ta- what's happening, what's taking place? Well, sorrow. And it has awakened within Naomi her need for the Lord. And I'm not saying that she hasn't been aware of the Lord at all, but at least at this point, she's, she's, she's now... She's now more dependent upon him as a widow. And I want you to consider this. The principle is found in in Psalm 119, verse 67. Here's what it says. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. That's the principle, right? That's the principle. The idea is, hey, before before I dealt with this hardship, before there was sorrow, before I was afflicted, before this happened to me, I did whatever I wanted. I was just doing this. I was just doing that. I was just doing the things that I wanted to. But because of this affliction, because of this sorrow, because of this hardship, because of this grief, it has now prompted me to focus on the Lord. And that's what we see happening in in Naomi's life. So the psalmist is saying very clearly the same thing uh, for himself as what Naomi 
is experiencing. So when you experience that grief, when that sorrow, the hardship, loss, you then have to make a choice. Am I going to continue in my sorrow? Am I going to seek the Lord? What am I going to do? Well, I mentioned last week that the overall theme of the book, the book of Ruth, is gospel-focused with the theme of redemption. But before we experience the redemption of Christ, I want you to follow me in, in my thinking here with the themes of the gospel. Before you experience redemption, so if you have creation, the fall, redemption, restoration. Before you have restoration, you have to have redemption. And before redemption, you have to do what? Address your fallenness. You have to address the fact that you have sin. So there has to be a moment of repentance. So repentance always precedes redemption. And redemption will precede restoration. So let's think about repentance for a moment. What, is, what does that mean? It's that big churchy word. About the only time I ever saw it in the 80s, you know, was at baseball games. <laughs> Repent, the Lord is near, you know. That was the only time I ever saw it. I didn't know what it meant. You know, I wasn't saved until I was a teenager. And, and uh, so, so what, you know, what, is, what does that mean? My, years ago, and I've, I've mentioned this, Rick Warren uh, from, from Saddleback, um, he was doing a teaching on this very concept of repentance. Changed my way of thinking about, about repentance. Uh, so much so because growing up, even, even getting saved at 15, every time as a teenager, every time I would hear a preacher or evangelist or someone talking about repent, they would use it in this context. They would say it means that you're going this way and now you turn around and you go this way. And they would, I would hear that over and over and over. And then when I heard Rick Warren explain its root word, metanoia, he said, metanoia is not a change of direction, it's a change of mind. And he said, with the change of mind will come a change of direction. But you can't just change your direction and then not change your mind. And I realized that, I mean, it was such a light bulb going off for me. It was such an awareness of that makes so much sense. Because here's what we can do. We, we can, all the time, we can change our direction, can't we? I mean, we can just change our direction. Hey, I want to go this way for a while. And you go that way. Hey, I want to go to church. I, I want to I do this. I want to do that. And they're good things. But if your mind has never changed, and you're really focused on, I really want to go that way, then eventually what's going to happen? You're just going to stop going that way because you never, you never changed your mind to begin with. When you change your mind first and you say, I don't want to go this way. I've gone this way. I've done this. Every time I go my own way, it, it, it causes me trouble. I, I hurt. It causes anguish. I hurt other people. I don't, want to do, I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, I want to follow your way. And what do you do? Because you changed your mind, you change your direction. You go in a different way. Now, I'm not saying that you never go that direction ever again. You do. But here's the difference. 
you're going this direction because this is where your mind wants to go and you've made it a result you resolved in your mind this is where i'm headed this is where i'm going every now and then you're back here but here's the difference your heart said what i really wanted to go that way i really wanted to go that way i mean i know i i know i messed up and i thought i wanted to go this way and i did for a season i did for a moment Oh, there's this remorse, you know, it's like, oh, I regret going this way because I changed my mind. I don't, I don't really want to go, even if I do. The Apostle Paul put it this way. The Apostle Paul said, the things I find myself doing, I don't want to do. You know, and I thought, that, that's it. I find myself doing these things, but my mind is really focused on this way. That's, that's where we need to be. That's repentance. So what do we see happening in the life of Naomi. She has gone to Moab. She has gone to the land of Moab, and now she is at a point of changing her mind. I don't think I want to stay here any longer. I don't think I want to continue to live in Moab. I've changed my mind. I want to go what? Change my direction to you. Because she changed her mind about where she was living. She was like, we came here to get away from the famine. We came here to get away from this. And I came here with, with a husband and with two sons. And now I've got grief and sorrow. And now she does what? She changes her mind. And that does what? Changes her direction. Changes her focus. And now she's headed back to, to Bethlehem where she came from. So what we see is a picture of repentance. Now, there's another key word, and I like to use both of these together. Here's why. There's a close relationship between, between repentance, changing your mind, and confession. I used to think of confession in, in the terms of, yep, I did it. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, I bad. I confessed. It was me. But then, in the same way that Rick Warren explained uh, the key, the, the root words and the, the original language of, of um, repentance, metanoia, I looked at the original word for confess. The word confess doesn't just mean like, hey, own up to it. It means, um, it means to say the same as. It's the, 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 the root word there is homo, Legeo. It is the words are the same. I am, when I confess to the Lord, I am saying, God, I'm in agreement with you. I say the same thing that you say. So if God calls something sinful, to confess would be what? To agree, yes, God, this is sinful. To confess is to say, I am in agreement with the Lord and the things that he has called sinful, I will call sinful. The things he has called good, I will call good. So confession isn't just about taking ownership and saying, yeah, my bad, I did it. It is to be in agreement with the Lord. And so here we have, have Naomi who is now changing her mind and she's on her way back on our way back to Bethlehem. So here's our question. Has God awakened you 
And has he awakened your need for him? Whatever it is, whatever it might be that he, that he chooses, here's my plea and here's, here's my, my challenge for you. Don't wait for tragedy to strike before calling upon him. Don't wait for that. Don't wait for the affliction. Don't wait for the, for the husband and the sons to die before you change your mind and come into agreement with the Lord. Instead, say, Lord, it is better for me to follow your ways now than to wait for affliction to come upon me. And that's my challenge. That's my challenge to you. That's my challenge to me is that we would seek the Lord and to seek his ways.